Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. Awesome to have you with us. Hello to those of you joining us online. And uh, if you're in a parent viewing room, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. I hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving. Uh, we are uh, coming off of Thanksgiving weekend, and it's amazing what happens every single year Thanksgiving weekend. There's this one thing that is just, as a nation, we do this all together, and it's called Black Friday. And Black Friday is incredible because uh, it, it's amazing in one, in one single day as a nation, we make a shift from thankful for to I want more. Don't we? It's amazing that pivot from, you know, grateful to a cartful. And, uh, and now we've extended it. Now we've got Cyber Monday and Cyber Monday does more business than Black Friday. It's crazy, isn't it? And we spend one day where gratitude fills our heart and then we spend the rest of the month where we try to get everything else to fill our cart. And uh, to be fair, it's not our fault, is it? I'll tell you where this started. It started when uh, I got social media back in the day. It was called MySpace. Pretty sweet. Some of you are like, what is, my, what is this guy talking about? And, uh, and then it evolved and I got Facebook. This thing, Facebook came out. And, and then Facebook uh, was this thing where you could like put flair on people's walls. Some of you remember this. Uh, and then you could connect with friends. And eventually Facebook figured out a way to monetize this and they figured out, okay, we can do ads and now you can like say something to a friend in passing and that thing just instantly shows up in your feed. It's amazing, isn't it? They just know it's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's crazy. And so you're like, man, I don't have the newest glasses. Now I need to get the newest glasses. I don't have the right hunting equipment. I don't even hunt, but I look at the hunting equipment. I'm like, let's get hunting equipment, right? It's amazing. Uh, like I need more pottery for my barn. I, uh, I don't have a barn, but now I want to get some pottery and put it in my barn. We're constantly dissatisfied with what we have because we live in a culture that constantly reminds us of all the things that we don't have, all the things that we could have. And if we're not careful, we're going to head into the holidays here and it's going to become the season of discontentment. And my problem is just about every single day, I see uh, one of just about everything I don't have and that I could have and potentially have. And I didn't even know I needed it until I saw it. And here's what else is amazing. It just so happened that you might also like and these items are frequently purchased together. And uh, customers who bought this product also bought this product. And related to this view is also this product. And these are frequently bundled together. And I'm like, oh my gosh, have you been reading my diary? I need every one of these. It's amazing. And how in the world do you stay content in a world where everyone knows all of the things that are out there and knows what you're buying and they keep dangling it in front of you? And if we're honest, the problem isn't that we don't have. The problem is the awareness of everything that we could have. Now, you're like, okay, I, I knew it. I came to church. I was just here to support one of these child dedications. I'm not even a church person, and I knew you were going to talk about money. Here we go. And here's the reality. We do talk about this every once in a while, but here's what I can promise you. The reason we talk about it is because, number one, Jesus talks about it. Number two, uh, we only ever talk about it from a position of health as a church. So this is not the pitch of like, please give, or we're shutting the doors. Like, hey, we never do that. And then the other thing is, man, we want to teach this from a position of health because we don't, we don't want to like use guilt or manipulation or anything like that. And sometimes that happens in churches. There's, there's different teachings when it comes to money, when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving. There's different teachings that you find in different churches. One of those teachings is this. It's called prosperity teaching. And it's all about this. Hey, if you, if you make Jesus your choice, drive a Rolls Royce. Right? It's, uh, man, if you give to God, he's going to give back to you. He's going to bless your socks off. You're going to get rich and you're going to get wealthy. And that is uh, such a dangerous message that you don't find in the scriptures at all. 
In fact, it's a way of taking some of the scriptures and sort of twisting them and manipulating them through the lens of materialism, taking it to an extreme and kind of being motivated by something. In fact, the prosperity teaching is really motivated by greed. It's motivated by greed. It's driven by greed. That the more you give to God, the more God's going to give to you and bless your socks off. And it's just not true. And then some people hear that message and then they swing the pendulum so far in the other direction that they end up with a poverty teaching, which is like, hey, you, you know, if you own anything nice, you know, if you, you don't own anything nice, don't have extra, uh, don't ever build wealth, don't ever do anything like that, you know, you got to give it all away. You got to like live in a van down by the river. And it's like, well, that's not the teaching either. And that teaching is really just driven by guilt that says, oh, you should never have anything nice. Now, here, here's where Westbridge Church lands. Here's where we land, somewhere in between these, right? It's not, Jesus isn't going to bless your socks off. That's not the promise. The promise isn't like, don't ever have anything nice. That's driven by guilt. But the, the generosity teaching of Jesus is driven by grace. It says this, God, because of everything you've done for me, I want to give back to you. Because, of, because you've given me so much, because you've blessed my life with so much, I want to return back to you out of what you've given me. And that's really driven by grace, recognizing, God, everything you've done for me, I, I don't give so that you'll bless me. I give because you have blessed me. I give out of what you've given to me. And, and when it comes to generosity, here's the temptation for us. And I know this is tempting for me. It's easy for us to believe that generosity is all about more, right? That I will be more generous when I have more to be generous with. And so easy for me to fall into that temptation to go, okay, I, I want to be generous, but I need more to be generous with. So once I have more, then I'll be more generous. And the reality is every teaching that you find from Jesus and every teaching that you find on generosity throughout the scriptures has nothing to do with more. It has everything to do with management. For Jesus, it's, it's not how much you have. It's what do you do with however much you've been given. Jesus is interested not in like how much you own. He just wants to make sure that whatever you own doesn't own you. Jesus doesn't, he's not interested in like, well, you better have this much or that much. He just wants to make sure that it doesn't have you. And that's the reality. Jesus taught it's not about how much you have. It's about how you manage how much you have. Because generosity is much less a money issue. And it's much more a heart issue. And it's a trust issue. That's why we talk about it. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't really like when churches talk about money. Me either. I don't want to do this. I'm the messenger, all right? Uh, in other words, do I believe what Jesus taught about money and possessions? Do I genuinely believe it? And here's what's amazing. I believe what Jesus taught about forgiveness. I believe what Jesus taught about grace. I believe what Jesus taught about money. I believe what Jesus teaches about uh, parenting and, and relationships and, and, and marriage. There's so many things that I, I go, man, I can follow Jesus in that area. So the question is, when it comes to this area, what does Jesus teach around money and finances and possessions? Am I willing to trust him in this area of my life as well? And maybe you've never thought about your money in these terms, but Jesus says this, we know we can't take any of it with us, right? One day, you know, we, we, we were born naked and naked we'll go. And that's just the reality. But we know intuitively, we can't take any of our money with us. But Jesus says this, you can send it on ahead. And maybe you haven't thought about it that way, but here's what Jesus says to a group of people in the first century as he's teaching them about money and possessions. Jesus says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he gives this statement. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. 
Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, we all know what it means to store something up. It means to set it aside so that we can have it later, right? But what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Is there like a bank in heaven that I'm like, where do I get that deposit slip, right? Is there currency in heaven? How does that work? Really, what Jesus is saying is this. If you take a portion of what God has entrusted to you in this life, and you invest it in something that has eternal significance, other people in their eternal life, you're actually making an investment in your own future. That's a smart thing to do. And Jesus says the way to invest in your future is to invest in things that have eternal impact. And so if we're going to leave a legacy as a church, if we're going to leave a legacy as individuals, we have to ask the question, after I die, how will I wish my money had made an impact? What is it that all of the money that I've had for the years that I've had on this earth, where does it go? And is it going to leave a legacy after my life is over? Because one day you're going to grow out of your house. It's either going to get too big or too many stairs or something along the way. Like so, at some point, you won't live in your house forever. At some point, you're going to outgrow your car. You're going to outgrow your phone, your computer. All of this stuff gets obsolete. It gets outdated. It gets... And so the reality is this. Does it make any sense, with that in mind, does it make any sense to, to spend all of your earthly money on things that won't last? On things that don't store up or invest in eternity? And then a few verses later, Jesus actually makes this promise. He says this, so don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. And these are the things that we worry about on a day-to-day basis, the basic stuff. Like, I just want to make sure I'm worried about my money. I'm worried about the bills. I'm worried about the economy. I'm worried about all of these things. Jesus says, don't worry about these things from day to day. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly father already knows all your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Jesus says, don't store up treasure here on earth. You store it in heaven. And then he says, you don't need to worry about all these earthly things. If you put your attention and your focus and your priorities on God's kingdom, then he will provide all these things for you. And what's amazing is these two sets of verses are in the same teaching. Jesus says, this isn't one verse from one section and a separate conversation. Jesus seems to be saying that if you will invest your money and your finances in something that is eternal, you will have less stress and worry around those things that are not eternal. And consequently, if you invest all of your money in only earthly things, you will have more stress and more worry around those things. Well, why? Because Jesus says, and we know intuitively that this is true, your heart follows your money. And maybe you've never heard it in these specific words, like wherever your treasure is, there your heart will follow. But we know that that's true, that our heart follows the things that we invest in financially. It's why uh, some of you were like, man, weren't super into the NFL, but you joined a fantasy league, and now it's like, oh, dude, I'm rooting for the third string running back from the Cleveland Browns because I got 20 bucks riding on this. I might win something. So you're watching teams that you've never watched before. You're rooting for a defense that you're, you're like, I'm starting this defense this week, so man, I'm rooting for that team. And you're suddenly invested because you have a small amount of money riding on this week's game, right? We know intuitively this is true. If you bought stock, you never once looked at that stock before, but suddenly you're on the app, you're checking that stock every day, excuse me, every day, going, oh man, I hope that's doing well. You drive by, you know, a building and you see the the corporate headquarters and you point it out to everybody in the car. I'm part owner in that company. (laughs) It's why teenagers never watch HGTV. Right? But those same teenagers, man, they grow up and they meet and they fall in love and 
they're sitting in their house one day and one of them says, oh, what do you want to do today? And the other one says, do you want to go check out the parade of homes? And the other one's like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And you're like, what happened to us? Your heart followed your money. That's what happened. You bought a house and suddenly you're interested. You're like, we just want to get design ideas. Why? Because your heart follows your money. Whenever we invest our financial, financial resources, our hearts become deeply invested in those things. So if we want to have our hearts deeply invested in God's kingdom, then it makes sense. We should invest financially in God's kingdom. And we are accomplishing the mission of being a community of people, helping other people find and follow Jesus. And if we want to be a part of that, then that means we have to direct our financial resources towards God's kingdom. It only makes sense. And here's what's amazing. God promises that when we do that, when we make that our primary concern and we do that first, that he will take care of everything that we need, that he'll provide. Now, here's what it does not say. He will give you everything that you want. Just insert prayer and, uh, you know, God's not a cosmic vending machine in the sky, right? Just put the, put the prayer in and push the buttons you want and boom, out comes your Porsche. That's not what God teaches. But don't all of us want to make an investment in our own future? Isn't that what we want at the end of the day? Don't we want less worry and less stress in our lives? Uh, wouldn't we collectively say yes? Don't we want more joy in our lives? I mean, wouldn't every one of us want to say, I really want my life to count? I really want that at the end of my life, when people look back at my life, they're not going to say, look at the house he had or look at the, look at the phone he had. He had the latest version of the, look at his cars. I hope they say, man, look at what he did with what was entrusted to him. I mean, look at the generosity. Look at the lives that were impacted because of the generosity that he displayed throughout his life. I want to know the stories of people whose lives were forever changed because I was willing to invest what God had so freely entrusted to me. And Jesus says there is a way to do that. It's called consistent generosity. Consistent generosity. Now, I say consistent because here's the reality. Consistent generosity is different than uh, passive generosity. It's different than, uh, you know, impetuous generosity, spontaneous generosity. That's when uh, I see a video and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of inspired. I think I'll give something to that. Consistent generosity is this. I'm going to make deposits consistently over the course of my life. And here's what we all know is true. It is not the, the big giant workout that you do on January 2nd that gets you swole. Bummer. It is the consistent small deposits. Those are the workouts consistently, consistently, consistently that make the difference, right? It's not, it's not one thing and you're like, oh, I just dropped a bunch of money into my savings account and now I'm ready for retirement. Nope, it's steady, consistent, small deposits that prepare you for retirement. And the same thing is true when it comes to generosity. It's going, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return back to you consistently, consistently, consistently over time, week after week, month after month, year after year, that's what changes the world. And taking a percentage of everything God entrusts you and investing it in God's work in the world. So in the next 20 minutes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how to be consistently generous and then what it will do for you in your life and what it will do for God's kingdom. So here's what it looks like to be consistently generous with what God's entrusted to you. Number one, you give back to God first. You just have a plan to go, okay, before I spend on myself, before I invest, before I do anything else, I'm going to give back to God first. I'm going to return back to God through my local church. And I intentionally wrote back because when we give to God, we're actually returning to him what he's just given to us. He's actually the owner of it all. So if you want to be consistently generous, you give back to God first. You make that a priority. Here's what Solomon writes in the Proverbs. He says, honor God with everything you own. Give him the first 
and the best. So this is the plan that we have in our family. This is the plan our kids do. Uh, Man, right away, when we get paid, first thing we do before we do anything else, we return back to God through our local church. When you get paid, whether it's weekly or monthly, have it in your plan to give to God first before anyone else gets paid. This is an act of faith. This simply says this, God, I trust that you are actually the owner and you will provide, so I'm returning to you first. Now, I get the pushback on that. I 100% do. You're like, of course you're going to say that. You're the preacher. And that sounds like a pretty preacher answer to me, preacher. And I'm with you, okay? But I'm telling you, our family lives this way. And this is not some crazy scheme that we cooked up so that the pastors can get paid, all right? If I wanted to have a lucrative career, I wouldn't have gone into this, all right? I would have gone into modeling. (laughs) And you all laugh, and that hurts a little. That's all right. I have a different understanding of wealth because of the scriptures. I don't see my money and my stuff as my own. I'm simply the manager of what God has entrusted. So returning back to God first is really a constant reminder of my position as the manager and God's the one who owns it all. And I return back to him. And every week we say this, right? We never say, hey, we're taking an offering because we're not taking anything. We say, hey, this is an opportunity in our service where we can, as a part of our worship, bring back a percentage of what God has entrusted to us financially. Those words are selected carefully because we genuinely believe that's what we're doing. And our family does this and our church does this. And so we give back to God first. Say, God, before I give to anyone else, I'm going to give back to you. This is a declaration that I'm more dependent on you than I am on my stuff, my money, my possessions, anything I've acquired or accumulated. And then this is the second part of giving consistently. I give back to God a percentage. Well, why a percentage? All throughout the scriptures, there is a pattern of God saying a percentage, a percentage of what I've entrusted to you, return back to me. It moves God's kingdom forward and it establishes faith in our own hearts in God. And it's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. It's about saying, God, I'm going to give a percentage. And here's what happens when I don't have a percentage. Here's what I do. And maybe you don't do this, but I know I do this. When I don't have a percentage, I talk myself into less and less amounts while at the very same time convincing myself I'm way more generous than I actually am. It's amazing how, how the math maths with that, right? I just, uh, I, oh, uh, what, hmm, okay, I got paid. What should I give? And I kind of like, and I talk well, I justify it, and I talk myself into less and less, while at the very same time convincing myself of how very, very generous I am with everything God's given me. But when I have a percentage, that is an agreement that I've already made with myself. So now I don't have to argue with myself. When I get paid, I just go, oh, this is the percentage that I'm going to give back to God. And there's a reason for that. There's a precedent for that. In, in the nation of Israel, when God first puts this into practice, he gives them a reason why. In fact, here's what he says. He says, make an offering of 10%, a tithe. Bring this into the presence of God. And in this way, this is the reason for it. In this way, you will learn to live in deep reverence before God as long as you live. This is a way of declaring with my stuff, God, you're first. And the word that's used is tithe, and we tend to think that means just give or money, but tithe is actually a specific word. It's kind of archaic, but it means tenth, one-tenth or 10%. And they lived in an agricultural society, and they would take 10% of their crops, the first fruits, and they'd bring it back to the temple and present it to the Levites who worked in the temple. And that sounds crazy, because you don't know if the rest of the crop is going to come in. You don't know if you're going to have a drought. Uh, You don't know, like, but that's kind of the point. It's going, God, I'm choosing to live on the 90%, and I'm, I'm trusting in you. I'm not trusting in my stuff. You are the one who provides. And when you recognize that everything you have comes from God, and you make it a priority to return a tenth back to God, God simply promises that he'll take care of you. Now, the issue is not how much money you have. The issue every single one of us needs to wrestle through is this. 
Do I trust God? Do I genuinely believe that he will do what he says he will do? Because here's the reality. The math doesn't math. How can I possibly live more free and with more joy and live better on 90% than I could with 100% of what I make? That doesn't make sense. And that's the point. God's going, look, I want you to understand when you are 100% dependent on your stuff, we all know this, the economy goes up and down. Jobs come and go. Money is unreliable. There's a wild ride like this when you're dependent on your stuff. But when you declare your dependence on God, you go, God, I'm going to give you 10% right off the top. And then you go, and I'm, I'm just trusting that you're going to help me to provide for me to live on the rest. That's very dependable. If you genuinely believe that God is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do. And then in the Old Testament, in the nation of Israel, God gives them this, this promise. He gives them this idea. Here's the concept behind this. He says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he says, try it. Put me to the test. Now, this often gets misquoted and, and kind of misused, but the point is this. God wants something for you. God doesn't need something from you. He wants something for you. He, he's like, I want to, I want to give you. I'm a, I'm a loving father, and I want to provide for you, and I, I want to be the one who you depend on. And God wants you to have such an unshakable faith that when the storms of life come your way, you respond so differently than anyone else because you have a hope that doesn't come from money but it comes from him. You've learned to be dependent on him. And he recognizes the only way to get your heart into that kind of shape is for you to put your trust in him. And it's really difficult for us as humans to trust in him while clinging tightly to our stuff. Well, isn't this Old Testament theology? This is the question I often get from people who've been around church for a long time. They say, well, isn't that, Jesus, isn't that God specifically speaking to the nation of Israel during that time? Doesn't that not apply to us? And the question they're really asking is this, isn't there a loophole so I don't have to be generous? And sure, technically, yes, God is talking specifically to the nation of Israel in that time. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, everything Jesus does is this. He, he pulls from the Old Testament law, and he doesn't just do away with it. He actually pulls the spirit of the law from the letter of the law, and then he elevates it. So he says things like this. Uh, you've heard it said that uh, to, com to commit adultery is a sin, but I'm telling you, if you even look lustfully after a woman, uh, that's a sin. And he elevates. He pulls the spirit of the law, and then he elevates it even more. He does this with many things. You've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I'm telling you, there's, there's a different way. I'm going to pull the spirit of the law out of the letter of the law, and I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he elevates the Old Testament law. And he does the same thing with generosity. All throughout the teachings of Jesus, we recognize Jesus doesn't do away with it. He actually pulls the spirit of generosity from it. And it's not just about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. And then he elevates it. It says, this is what it looks like because of all the grace you've experienced to live a life of generosity. So let me give you two results of consistent generosity, and then we're going to close in just a few minutes. Here's two things that will happen. And I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can to convince you to live this way because it will benefit you and it will benefit the church. It will benefit you and it will benefit God's kingdom. You will live a more happy, joyful, uh, faith-filled life, and God's kingdom will move forward. Here's the first thing that happens when you live this way. God, I'm going to give back to you first. I'm going to give back to you a percentage. Number one, your faith in God grows. This is just the reality because you're, you're making a declaration of, God, I'm depending on you. And we don't give to God so that he'll bless us. We give to God because he has blessed us. 
And there's so many different reasons that people give uh, to a church. But the real, the, the, the point is this, out of grace, God, of the grace you've given me, I want to return back to you. And God promises to take care of your needs and you'll feel more alive and experience greater faith than you ever have before. And because Jesus knows where our treasure is, our hearts will follow. He wants our hearts. Jesus in another teaching says this. He says, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, our possessions, our, the things we accumulate and acquire, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? If you're not faithful with the things that God's entrusted to you, if you don't see him as the owner and recognize you're the manager, well, why would God trust you with more? When I look at my life, I, I recognize I've been blessed in my life far beyond anything I ever thought I would. And I look at the blessings in my life and it's not financial. It's not financial blessings. I've made a commitment in my life to return a percentage of what God's entrusted to me back to him. But when I look at how God's blessed my life, it's not money. It's family, it's relationships, it's friendships, it's leadership opportunities, it's different things outside of money. And that's, God looks and goes, okay, you've been faithful with little, you've been faithful with worldly wealth, there's things I can trust you with. And unfortunately, some of us are desperate to experience the true riches of heaven, but we haven't proven faithful to be generous with what he's entrusted to us financially. And here's what's so ironic about this, right? Anytime that I face financial hardship, I want God to be in the center of my finances. It's like, oh God, please, I need you in the center of my finances. But for many of us, we aren't as eager to follow God's way of handling our finances when we have plenty. Man, it is quiet in here today. If you want your faith in God to grow, you want to continue to move towards spiritual maturity, very few things will help you do that, like consistent generosity. Because it's not about more, it's about how do I manage whatever God's given me. And so this is what's going to happen. When you say, God, I'm going to give back to you first and I'm going to give back to you a percentage, your faith will grow. You will become dependent on God. Your faith will come alive. But here's the second thing that will happen. And this is really amazing. That first one is a spiritual internal thing for us. The second one is very practical and it's collective. It's this. God's mission is accomplished. God always works through people to accomplish his mission in the world. And, and when we give back to God first and we give back to God a percentage out of what he's entrusted to us financially, it's amazing. God works through the local church. And do you know who is responsible to be the stewards and the managers of the local church? It's you and I. We're responsible for this. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to people in Corinth, uh, he actually describes, here's what, here's what I want you to do when it comes to generosity. And he encourages them and he says this, since you excel in so many ways, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. In fact, Followers of Jesus have done this for thousands and thousands of years. The reason that we have hospitals, the reason that we have orphanages, the reason that we have crisis pregnancy centers, the reason that we have uh, help in so many different areas that we do and care for the poor and care for the needy is because somewhere along the way, people understood the teachings of Jesus. The only reason we have standards for those things in the United States of America is because of the long shadow cast by the teachings of Jesus. In the first century, no one cared about these things. In the first century, if you were sick, that was weak. If you showed pity on people who were sick, you were even weaker. Why would you do that? Why give to anybody that couldn't return to you? And it's only the teachings of Jesus that said, no, you give not out of, so that you get back. You give because God's given you so much. And out of that sprung hospitals and orphanages and uh, crisis pregnancy centers and all, all, everything, the people uh, rescued children that were abandoned. 
Why? Because of the teachings of Jesus. In fact, when you do research, uh, the Barna Research Group, which is a huge research group here in the United States, they did research on uh, philanthropy and just, just giving and charity in the last couple of years. One of the conclusions they came to was this. Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022. 70% of all philanthropy in the United States was from followers of Jesus who said, I'm going to give out of what God's entrusted to me. That is just over $300 billion in giving in 2022. In fact, without the impact of the local church, our communities become a lot more selfish. $300 billion. Does anybody want that to go away? Do we want our churches to go away? Even if you're not a Jesus person, even if you're just like, man, I just came to support a child dedication. <laughs> Let me out of here. You should, even if you don't live in this community, don't even give to this church. Find a church and send them a check every month. Because I'm telling you, what churches do in our communities, if that goes away, you don't want that to go away in your community. You don't. Here's another thing that will blow you away. Followers of Jesus in 2022 outgave the federal government in addressing world poverty outgave the federal government. That's the power of the church. That's because there is an others first component that is built into the mission of the church. Of the top 50 charities in the United States in 2022, 40 of them are faith-based organizations. There is an others centered component that is built into the mission of the church that we find only in the teachings of Jesus. Here's what the government can do. The government can tell us, here's how low you can go before you go to jail. That's essentially the role of government, right? I mean, I know it's complex. They do a lot of other things, but they're like, if you go any lower than this, you go to jail. And what media does is tell us how low we've gone. So who challenges us to live beyond the letter of the law? Who challenges us and inspires us to exercise generosity for the benefit of someone else? Who instructs us to do the one thing, the one thing that would change everything if everybody did it? Who does that? To love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, who stewards the message that sets the bar even higher and says, don't just love your neighbor as yourself. You love others the way that Jesus has loved you. Only the church. Only the church. Only the church stewards that message. So whether you like it or not, whether you're bought into it or not, whether you thought about it or not, whether you want the responsibility of it or not, the reality is you and I are responsible for the church. You and I are the stewards of the church. And do you know what's at stake? If we don't do this well, my kids and your kids, the kids that were up here that were dedicated, if they want to have a place to grow up, if they want to have environments where the anchor of God's love gets set deep in those hearts, that's what's at stake. It's the faith of the next generation. It's the next generation that's at stake. So what will we do with what God has entrusted to us? I came into youth group a few weeks ago. Came out on a Wednesday night. Wednesday nights, we have 6th through 12th graders take over this building. They just stuff them in every nook and cranny in this building. It's crazy. They do worship and they do teaching. And uh, man, it's just amazing what's going on. So I came in here a few weeks ago and I sat in one of the services and I led one of the small groups with, uh, you know, 8th graders. And I just wanted to be a part of it. And I said the next day uh, to, to Chandler, who's our youth pastor, I said, man, that was so great. How many kids do we have there? And he goes, oh, man, 130. Had to be 130. I said, did you count? He's like, no, but it felt like 130. <laughs> I said, 195, I counted. 195. He's like, what? I said, first of all, start counting. Second, <laughs> second, this is amazing. 
That's a great problem to have. Right, we're having problems where we're going. Okay, we're going to three services, and you know uh, we've still got seats at 8 a.m. If you're like, man, it's crowded here. We've got seats at 8 a.m., but I know it's 9:30 is a little more comfortable. This one's starting to get crowded. 11 gets crowded, and we're actually right now talking to and interviewing architects because we're going. All right, at some point we got to figure this out, and we're going to add onto this building, and we need more space for more people. But do you know why we're doing that? Why we're thinking about that? It's not for you and me. It's for the kids that are dedicated today. It's for the kids that are in the kids' classrooms right now. It's for the teenagers that show up here. It's for the next generation. That's what matters. I'm asking you to trust that God will provide for you when you make his kingdom your primary concern. And because I want to inspire you to give 10% back to God through your local church, I want you to know I'm not asking you to do something that my family's not doing. We live this way. Our church lives this way. As a church, we tithe. We give 10% away right off the top every single month of everything that comes in. We are modeling this. And so, come on, we can do this. We must do this. The faith of the next generation is dependent on us doing this and doing this well. See, you're sitting in a chair right now that was paid for by somebody else. And I get it. I'm preaching to the choir because so many of you are so generous. I love that. So many followers of Jesus are content to consume. And perhaps it's time to do for the next generation what the previous generation has done for you. Perhaps it's time to do for the next generation what you wish the previous generation had done for you. And for those of you who have done this consistently for years and years and years, I can't thank you enough. You get it. You know it is consistent generosity over time that makes the difference. But to those of you who are content to kind of show up when it's convenient and just kind of consume what you need and then go on with your life and we're kind of like that gas station that's there and you pass it every single day and you never really use it until that one time where it's like, oh, so glad the gas station's there. And sometimes the church becomes like that. It's like, all right, we're aware of it and we pass by it, but I'm glad you're there when we need you. And I'm telling you, if that's, if that's the way you approach church, you owe that first group a debt of gratitude for, for, for consistently giving. And more importantly, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your kids to join them, to participate with them. Because we need to ensure that our church, that your church continues to make an impact for the next generation. And here's what I can promise, okay? You might walk out of here and go, didn't care for that message. I'm not a fan. I'll come back next week. You might walk out of here and go, yeah, didn't care for that message. Don't like the whole giving thing when churches talk about money. It's not really my cup of tea, but uh, man, I'm just gonna, I like going there when they talk about marriage or when they talk about parenting. I like some of that stuff. I like the forgiveness stuff. I like the prayer stuff. So I'll kind of I'll go and consume when I need to. And you can do that. And, and listen, you might come back here someday and, and you'll be away for a couple of months or, you know, a couple of seasons of life and something hits and, and you show up with a broken heart. You show up with a broken marriage. You show up with a broken relationship with a kid. You show up because of some trouble or tension in your life. Here's what I can promise you beyond a shadow of a doubt. We will be here for you. And we won't ask a single question. We will just serve you. Our commitment is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And that means we will be here for you. We will. The local church is God's agent of change in the world. But if you've benefited from it, perhaps it's time to give back to it. If you've benefited from it, perhaps it's time to be committed to returning and being a part of it. And so today I'm going to give you a simple way to respond to this message. Go ahead and grab your phone. Everybody grab your phone. This is an all skate. We can all play along. Uh, we're throwing a QR code up on the screen. And if you will scan that QR code, Here's what this is going to do. This is going to take you. I hope it's big enough that you can scan it. Uh, this is going to take you to the giving page on our app. 
You're like, all right, I already know how to get there. You don't have to use the QR code if you don't want. Uh, Here's the deal. I'm going to invite you to do something that is absolutely amazing. I'm going to show you the most amazing button on the internet. Everyone should have a plan for how they plan to support their local church. Now, here is the most amazing button on the internet, okay? First of all, if you scan this QR code, it's going to take you to the giving page. And the giving page is going to look like this. This is what it's going to look like. You can enter a dollar amount. And then once you enter a dollar amount, here's what it's going to take you to. This is the most amazing button on the internet. Frequency, every other week, or every week, or every month, it's automated giving. This is the button that changes the world. I'm telling you, this is how, this is how our family gives, automated giving. I, every single time I get paid, it just goes, boom, I'm going to grab some of that, and I'm going to give it back to your local church. And then we can give above and beyond, uh, you know, occasionally, one time here, one time there, we give to other initiatives, but this is just consistent. Man, every two weeks, I get paid every two weeks, boom, this comes out. This is how you change the world. This is how you impact the community, week by week, month by month, year by year. And I'm going to say one more thing, then I'm going to be done. The reason I'm laying it on so thick is because we're in such a healthy place as a church. I, I don't need anything from you. I want this for you. I want you to be able to participate in what God's doing here. And the problem with modern Christianity is that we have so many followers of Jesus who are simply content to believe and they don't want to follow. And this is what Jesus taught. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, taught. It's on your outlines every single weekend. Don't just be hearers, but be doers. It doesn't make a difference in your life to believe something if you don't do something about it. It doesn't matter what I believe about exercise if I don't exercise. My belief in exercise won't reshape my body. I can sit around on my couch and go, I really believe it all day. It won't make a lick of difference if I don't do something about what I believe. And this is one area of life for followers of Jesus where it's very, very easy for us in the culture that we live in. It's very easy for us in this particular area when it comes to generosity. It is very easy for us to be believers and not followers. It's so tempting for us, but that's not what makes the difference. I'm not talking to those of you in financial hardship, but outside of financial hardship, if you don't have a plan to consistently practice generosity through your local church, Jesus would say, you're a believer, but you're not following. You're believing, but you're not following. And you can hate me for saying it, but please don't ignore what Jesus teaches. Let's not be content to believe. Let's follow what Jesus says and let's make a difference that outlives our lives. I can't wait to see what God is gonna do as we respond to this message. Perhaps there will be no one here next week. We'll see. But here's what I know. Once upon a time, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. At the heart of the message of Jesus is generosity. God so loved you and God so loved me that he sent Jesus into this world that whoever puts their trust in him would not perish. That means would not be lost to God, but would experience eternal life. And so you've been invited to be a part of God's family, no matter what. If you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you to say yes as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times I've walked away from you. I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes to your invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to put my trust in you and to follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us. May we not be content to believe. May we follow. Not just in the areas of marriage and parenting and relationships and friendships and and forgiveness. But God, in the area of generosity, may we not be content to simply believe, but may we be people who follow. And in our following, collectively, as each of us responds, 
I pray that it would make a huge impact in our community and around the world. Thank you. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.